Good morning. Great to see everybody here for another wonderful morning of worship. I hope you'll stick around for Bible class after this. And then we have a fellowship meal. And as we always say, we always have great food. Hope you will stick around for that. It's going to be a great time as we honor some important folks. So hope you can stick around for that after Bible class. Well, glad you're here this morning for another morning of, of worship. If you're visiting with us, you're our honored guest. We want to get to know you. Hope you can visit uh, anytime you're able. All year long, uh, David and I have been covering uh, essential elements of the Christian faith, the core doctrines that basically all Christians believe in. And we've covered a list by Dr. Scott Adair. This is a professor at Harding University. And he, he entitles his list, The Seven Essential Elements of the Faith. And here they are on the screen. We've been going over these once a month, and we've added uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple to these over the last couple of months. But these are the essential elements of faith that we've been going over this year. Now, one other element that we believe is crucially is crucial, is very important, is baptism. Baptism. Now, there are some differing beliefs about baptism and, and, you know, amongst Christians. But we believe it is essential. It is an, so very important in our lives as Christians and in our conversion, our salvation. We believe it's so very important. What I find so neat about this list that Scott Adair put together is that he actually connects every point up here on the screen, all seven of these, he connects every one of them to baptism, all of them. And that's what I'm going to go through here this morning very quickly is just to show you just how important baptism is, that it's connected to all of the essential elements that we've talked about this year. And so I think it clearly shows how important baptism is. So very quickly, I want to run through these to show you how they connect to baptism. Number one is Jesus is Lord. Uh, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is Lord. There are so many passages uh, about Jesus being Lord. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, uh, Paul says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. One day, all of us, everybody, is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's just, again, one example of many. Jesus is Lord. And, and that a, has a lot of meaning in, in the, the title Lord there. But we're recognizing him as, as deity and therefore the honor that's deserved to him, that we should give to him as divine, as God. We're also noting his authority and his rulership of our lives and over really everything. Jesus is Lord. Now, how does that connect to baptism? Well, in baptism, we are claiming Jesus as our Lord, right? We've talked about all year about submitting to Jesus Christ. Well, that's that initial surrendering to Christ in baptism. We're giving our lives to him. And we're saying, we're not the Lord of our lives. You're the Lord of our lives. And we make a confession before everybody and our belief in Jesus Christ. Typically, we say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God to the person who's going to be baptized? And that title, Son of God, is also a, a loaded title that has so many meanings. We're really claiming our belief in who Jesus is in every way. 
what, how the scriptures talk about him. We're claiming our belief in that, including that Jesus is Lord. And Paul stresses the importance of confessing Jesus as Lord in Romans chapter 10. And so that's how it, it connects to baptism, in that confession of who Jesus is. And also we're claiming him as our Lord there when we're giving our lives to him in the waters of baptism. How about number two, one God, one God. We talked about this uh, several months ago, and, and we looked at the fact that the Bible is very clear there's only one true God. Yes, there are a lot of false gods in Scripture that people worship, but there's only one true living God. It's the God we're worshiping this morning. It's the God of the Bible. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's only one true God. And we looked at Acts 17 where Paul goes to Athens and he sees that the city is full of idols, but he preaches to the Areopagus there in, in Athens and he talks about the one true God, that there's only one God. And that was the God that they were missing. They had all these idols, but they were missing the one true God. And that's what Paul talked about there. We also mentioned that while God, there's one God, God is a unique being and that he's three in one, a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, how does this connect to baptism? Do you remember when Jesus is giving what we call the Great Commission? Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have the, the triune God mentioned there, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And typically, when someone's baptized, it's typically when they get into the water here, right before they're plunged under the water, immersed in the water, they, somebody says, whoever's doing the baptizing says, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. You probably are recalling that now as we have bab baptisms here. So we're calling upon the one God in that moment, and we're depending upon him in that moment. He's the one who does the saving. Uh, there's nothing really special about the water itself, right? It's, it's really, that's just what God has chosen as, as the mode that we are to use. And we're following his commands, but we're calling upon him in that moment. And I like, also like what Albert Barnes says about this, to, to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he says it's to bind the soul to obey his laws, to be devoted to him, to receive as the guide and comforter of, the, of this life, his instructions, and to trust in his promises. So we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, calling upon the one God who is three in one. So that's the connection to baptism with one God. Now how about the third one, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. These are the most important events in history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and this is, these are central beliefs to the Christian faith. If Jesus does not die and he's not buried, if he doesn't raise, we're still in our sins. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for that. But the fact of the matter is he has been raised from the dead. And because of that, man, we have a hope. We have forgiveness. These events are so important, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And this one is really the easiest one to connect to baptism because in Romans chapter 6, Paul beautifully likens our baptism to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus and Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus died on that cross for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day to, to walk again. And in baptism, we are we die to sin. We're buried in the waters and we're raised to walk a new life. In essence, we're reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when we're baptized. Our old sinful selves are dead and gone. They're left in the water and we raise to walk a new life in Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to this passage here in a few minutes because it's so very important to talk more about the importance of baptism. So if you've turned there, keep your finger there because we're going to come back. But the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is very much connected to baptism because that's where our sinful ways, they go to die and we raise to walk in a new life just as Christ was raised from the dead to walk again. How about the next one? The church is the bride of Christ. And we talked about this uh, again a couple months ago where Jesus is likened to a husband or a bridegroom and the church is likened to a wife or a bride in scripture. And we talked about the, the closeness there uh, and, and the relationship between Christ and his church. Really the whole point that Scott Ader is trying to make here is that we're the church. Christians, we are the church. And the reason why he words it this way, the church is the bride of Christ, is because he actually uses a mnemonic device to try to help people remember these seven essential elements. And to help, uh, he uses his hand for this. And he points to the ring finger to help people remember that the church is the bride of Christ. But his whole point is that we are the church. The church is not just a building. It's not just something we do. It's who we are. We are the body of Christ. Now, how does that connect to, to baptism? Well, we're added to the church when we're baptized. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter gives that amazing sermon about Jesus Christ and he convicts the crowd that they had killed the Messiah, they're, they're convicted and they say, hey, what do we need to do? In essence, what do we do to make this right? And Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. And then we see in Acts 2.41 the response, so then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. What were they added to? Well, they were added to the number of disciples. They were added to the church. And so when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, that's when we are added to the church. We're added to his body. We become the bride of Christ right then. But I also love what Scott Adair points to with this. Who baptizes us? I'm not talking about like, a, I guess, a, a specific um, title or, or something like that. I'm talking about it's typically and always really a person who's already a Christian, right? It's, it's, tip, it's always somebody who's already a member of the body of Christ. And so from the beginning of our walk as a, as a Christian, somebody from the church is there right beside us. They're the one who is plunging us under the water and, and helping us raise, right? And, and it could be a preacher, it could be uh, 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 your father, it could be a brother, a, a biological brother. It doesn't really matter exactly who it is, but it's typically 
a person who's already a Christian is the one who's doing the baptizing. And Scott Adair points to how the church is always a part of our journey, or it always should be, from the moment we're baptized all the way through. And I'm sure that many of you could point to the person who baptized you. My dad baptized me, and he had been a Christian for many years at that point. And many of you probably have fond memories of someone who was already a Christian, who was already a part of the body of Christ, baptized you. And you have that fond memory of, of sharing that moment with them. And I, I think about the times when I was a, a youth minister and I got the chance to baptize many of our students and having that connection with them. That's now my brother. That's now my sister. And, and there's a connection between the body of Christ from the beginning of our walk as Christians. And so that's how this, this is connected to baptism. The church is the bride of Christ. We're added in that moment. And someone from the church is doing the baptizing. Now, what's the next one? Forgiveness through Jesus alone. And this is so very important as well. I feel like we've been coming to this a lot lately. And we should. Folks, the only way that we could be forgiven is through Jesus Christ. Our sins create this big gap between us and God. That's Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Our iniquities have separated us from God, and there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to fix it. We have to have some help, and thank goodness, Jesus Christ came and died and rose. Because without it, we'd be lost. But because of it, we can be forgiven. Jesus says in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way that we can be forgiven and have a relationship with the Father. He bridges that gap. We've created a gap because of our sins, but Jesus is the bridge for us to get back to God, to have a relationship with him. It's only through him and no other way. So how does this connect to baptism? Well, in baptism, we are baptized for the remission of sin. Remember in Acts 2.38, again, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. He convicts the crowd and they ask, what shall we do? And he says in Acts 2.38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness or for the remission of your sins. In baptism, that's where our sins are washed away. Later in the book of Acts, when Paul is retelling his conversion, he talks about Ananias' words and he says, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. This is where our sins are washed away in baptism. And as we looked in Romans chapter 6, that's the point at which we walk in newness of life, where the old self is buried and we're raised to walk a new life. We're a new creation in that moment. And so that's where we receive the forgiveness of our sins. And it's only through Jesus Christ. It's only because he took our sins to the cross and he rose on that third day that we can be forgiven. There's no other way but through Jesus alone. And it's him. It's him that's doing the saving in that moment. So that's, that's the next one. What's next? Receiving the Holy Spirit is the next point. Number six receiving the Holy Spirit. Folks, the Holy Spirit's all throughout the New Testament, and in particular in the lives of the believers in, in the book of Acts. He's ever present in, in the scriptures. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, 
that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? We don't belong to us anymore. Our bodies are not ours. We belong to God, and our bodies are temples of His Spirit. And the connection to baptism is the verse we just looked at. And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Scott Adair points into in, a little podcast he's doing. He points to, if you go to the book of Acts, look at the conversions and the baptisms and notice the close proximity of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is connected there in, in baptism. And then finally, hope of the resurrection through Jesus Christ. Hope of the resurrection through Jesus. The Bible makes it clear, folks, that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to take back his followers. If we're here, when, when he comes back, we're going to be caught up in the air with those who have passed on. They're going to be resurrected first. And we're going to be all caught up in the air with him, and we will be with him forever. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14, Paul says something really important about this. The Thessalonians really misunderstood the second coming of Jesus, and Paul had to correct them. But he says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. We, all of us probably are, are connected in some way to someone who has passed on, who, who was a follower of Christ but has passed on. That's not the end. We'll see them again because God has promised that he's going to return and he's going to take those home who have, who have been faithful to him and those who have passed on are going to be resurrected to live with him for eternity. We have a, a hope of a resurrection through Jesus Christ. This is not it. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our hope is an eternal life with him. Because of what Jesus did, we have that hope that, that our story continues after this life with him. Now, how does that connect to baptism? Well, at baptism, we've already talked, we're raised to walk that new life in hope of this resurrection. In hope, yes, our sins have been forgiven. We've been washed of our sins. And we walk a new life in hope of living in eternity with him. That, that's what we do the rest of our days is living in hope of what's coming. In hope of being resurrected to be with him forever. And that's our, that's our hope as Christians. That's what we're living for. That's what we're, we're doing. And it starts there in baptism when we're raised to walk in newness of life. We walk then in hope of being with him forever. Can you see the importance of baptism being connected to every essential element that we've talked about this year? It's such an important thing. And, and sometimes we may be uh, knocked for, for focusing on it so much within the churches of Christ. But we believe it is so very important. It's the moment at which we are saved. Our, our sins are washed away. It is such an important thing. It's connected to, to all of these essential elements of the faith. It's such an important thing. And it's not a work that we're accomplishing. We're not saying, hey, we're saving ourselves. No, Jesus Christ saves us. We're just following his commands to be baptized as we see it in the scriptures. 
And Jesus is the one who saves us in that moment. But it's so very important. I want to flip real quickly to Romans chapter 6. Again, we, we've, we've pointed to this when we talked about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But this is such an important passage uh, to, to talk about baptism. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Romans chapter 6. And we're just going to do the first four verses and then we'll, we'll be done here. But Paul starts out this chapter by saying, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase or abound? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Evidently, in Rome, in the church in Rome, there were some people who were basically using God's grace as a license to sin. In essence, they're saying, hey, since we've got God's grace, well, I can just keep sinning, right? Because he's just going to forgive me. Right? And I, I read in a commentary, somebody put it, how uh, they said that basically maybe they thought that they were giving God an opportunity to show his grace to them by sinning. Hey, if I sin, well, then God will give his grace and he'll be able to show his grace to me. And Paul is saying, no, that's not how it works. You, you can't just sin like that. You can't just go on doing whatever you want to do. That's an abuse of God's grace. Yes, God is a gracious God, but you can't just go on sinning so that grace may increase. May it never be is what he says. And he goes on to, to say, how shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Christians. Christians have died to sin. Now, when does that happen? Well, the context here in the next verses, he's talking about baptism. And baptism is the moment we die to sin. And he's saying, if you've died to sin, if you're a Christian, you've died to sin in baptism, you can't live in it anymore. You can't continually walk in it anymore. There's a new life that you are supposed to be living now that you've been baptized into Jesus Christ. You can't continue in sin. Yeah, you're gonna, we're going to slip up, but it's not going to be a continual habitual sinning, a lifestyle of sinning. No, we've left that in the water, our old sinful ways, and we raise and we're walking a new life. And so he says, how, how can we who've died to sin still live in it? That's a rhetorical question. He's not asking an answer. The answer is implied. You can't. You can't continue to live in sin if you've died to sin, right? And so he continues on. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus Christ, he died on that cross for our sins. He was buried in that tomb, and he was raised to walk that new life. And I know we've already mentioned this, but we're doing the same thing in baptism. We are dying to sin. We're buried in the water, and we raise to walk a new life. Some people use this graphic here. If we'll pull this up, you, maybe you've seen one like this before. Um, there's a bunch of different ones like this. But as Jesus died on that cross, we're dying to sin. Our old self is being crucified with him. And it, that recalls Paul's words in Galatians 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Our old ways, we're, we're putting them to death. They've been nailed to the cross. And then we're united with him in his death. We're being buried with him in baptism. Just as Jesus was buried in that tomb, you see the picture of the tomb, we're buried in that water. And then we raise 
to walk a new life. Jesus rose on the third day and he, he walked around and he talked and we raise and we walk a new life. We've been, we've been washed. Our old ways are left in that water. This is the moment at which we walk a new life is in baptism. That's the moment where our old sinful ways are buried and we raise to walk a new life. I love what Paul Pollard says. The earliest message of the first century church centered on the events of the cross. What more powerful way to recapture the central events of Jesus' life than in baptism? Due to its connection to the heart of the gospel, it's hardly a side issue or unnecessary as some argue. The gospel story is reenacted each time a person is baptized. The result of baptism is that we walk in newness of life, which echoes the idea of a new creation. Every time someone is baptized, we're reenacting the, the central events of the entire world, entire history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the connection with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and it makes baptism so very important. And it's the moment at which we become a new creation. So why is baptism important? It's the point at which we're united with Jesus Christ in his death. It's the moment at which we walk in newness of life. It's the moment at which we receive the remission of sin. And it's connected to all those essential elements as we talked about. So how could it not be important considering all we've talked about this morning? And we, we're just really touching the surface on baptism. More passages like Mark 16, 16, Galatians 3, 27, Colossians 2, 12 to 13, 1 Peter 3, 21. And let's not forget all of the conversions in the book of Acts with baptism. Baptism is all over the New Testament. Many of you have given your lives to Jesus Christ in baptism. But if you haven't this morning, we ask you to consider that. And if you want to study more about it, we'd love to study more with you about baptism. But as Paul was retelling his conversion and telling what Ananias said in Acts twenty-two sixteen. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. If this morning you feel like you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to baptize you in the waters right back here. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've already been baptized, but you feel like you haven't been what you're supposed to be, you've walked away, we want you to come forward as well. And if you want to confess, we'll be right there to, to receive you and to pray with you and for you. But if you have any need this morning, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.